is Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Tap In Time podcast. This is Victor, and at the moment, I'm by myself as I record this intro. This is episode number 19, and we're bringing another interview to you that we managed to score recently. Conducting this interview was Claire and myself, plus, as we've had a couple of times recently, Rob Gellner, our Canadian friend who we initially heard from back in episode number 11. Rob's been sitting in to help add another voice to things this summer during a bit of scheduling chaos for the main group. So thanks for the assist, Rob. We really appreciate it. Now, why don't we get on with it? We hope you enjoy this little chat we had with Mark and Steffi. Hello, everyone. Today, Claire, Rob, and I are joined by Mark and Steffi, who are, as far as we're aware, the only performing stick duo in the world. They're active on social media as well, and they put out some beautiful content and videos of them performing in some pretty interesting places around the world, and we're going to get to know a little bit more about that soon. They've got albums, they plant trees, and are just an all-around wonderful couple of people that we in the stick community are really fortunate to have. So, Mark and Steffi, welcome to Tap in Time. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. We've been looking forward to this. We've actually talked about it in in, in the last few months. Oh, we gotta get Marcus. So it's this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. We uh, we travel a lot. We don't always have consistent Wi-Fi, and so it's it's fantastic to finally get a chance to do this. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, thanks again for coming on. So why don't we start with just getting to know you a little bit? Uh, I don't know the best way to approach this, if I should like pick on each of you individually or let you guys talk as a couple. Yeah, the story is kind of intertwined together. Uh, and so we can go ahead. I will start. And uh, I met Steffi along the way. And so she can kind of continue and tell it towards the end. But uh, best place to start is right at the beginning. Um, I'm from a small town uh, called Elgin, Texas, a little bit east of Austin. And uh, I first uh, heard about the Chapman Stick when I was 14 years old from my guitar teacher. Uh, at the time, was just about he was uh, his name was Matt Rogers. He was about a ha- uh, uh, just a, a, one of a handful of people in the state of Texas that uh, played a Chapman Stick. And uh, basically, uh, he got me going on it. Uh, he would play a few songs here and there uh, after the lesson that he would give me the guitar lesson. And after hearing it, I just fell in love with the instrument. Uh, the sound was so unique, and uh, before too long, I had to ask him if he would maybe try to teach me the Chapman stick instead of the guitar. His first <laughs> answer was no. <laughs> he, said, uh, he said, I'm still learning it myself, you know, to stick with the guitar. You know, I have many guitar students. I've never taught the stick. You would be my first one. And so I, I didn't take his answer. I didn't accept it. Uh, every week, I would come back and I would say, you know, come on, just uh, maybe a little something, maybe show me a little part of the song. And Eventually, he said, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't get over the instrument, and I, I couldn't get over him as well. He was, the, uh, he was the one that really inspired me to start music and to think about it as a career option. Uh, and I remember thinking uh, in my 14-year-old self, if I could do anything in the world, I would love to play music and also to be just like this guy that uh, I was admiring so much. But uh, shortly, uh, it, it was a couple of months later that he gave me my first lesson on the Chapman stick. 
And while he was doing that, we realized how the two instruments were sounding together. And he said, whoa, whoa, wait just a minute. Let me play a little, a few notes here and I'll show you the harmony to that. And uh, it, it lasted maybe three seconds, but we just looked at each other and was just, oh, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> that's really nice. Uh, uh, and he, he brought up the idea of, well, maybe one day we could, you know, when you get better, we can start a duo. And uh, for me, of course, uh, being a 14-year-old kid, uh, that would be a dream come true. Uh, sure enough, it was about a couple of years later, uh, I kept with it, and uh, he rang me up on the phone one day and said, you know, uh, let's really give this a try and see what we can do. And long story short, uh, we worked together about 10 years uh, in Texas and all around in the United States, doing mostly festivals and markets where we'd essentially be busking, but we'd pay to play. And we would perform most weekends for about eight hours each day, uh, very similar to how Bob Culbertson does it. And uh, we would sell our self-produced albums there. And uh, so right out of high school, I started working with Matt and uh, we worked together for a good 10 years there and until the travel bug uh, started to bite as I was getting a little older. And um, uh, eventually... Uh, I said, you know, to him that this is something that I have to do, and uh, I, I wasn't quite sure how it would work out. But uh, it all started, though, um, when I was uh, 25. Uh, I, I left the country for the very first time and went to Scotland. And there was this little 19-year-old kid in Edinburgh that was busking on the, uh, on the side of the street. And he had a big crowd. A lot of people were uh, sat down, and they were listening to him. And they, he was really connected to his music. He was quite good. I can't even remember the name, though, uh, to tell you the truth. But I went up and asked him, uh, is this legal? Uh, is this okay? Uh, do you have to get permission? This is just busking. You can come up and do it whenever you like. And I looked in his wow. case and saw, you're doing fantastic for yourself. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I, we are doing the same thing for 10 years, uh, except we pay to play back home. I wonder if busking would work. I never thought about it until that point. And after that, it lit a fuse. Uh, fire went off in me and uh, went home, sold everything that I owned, uh, rented my house out, got rid of the old, you know, normal life in Texas and uh, booked a one-way ticket to Europe. And uh, that was when me and Matt parted ways. And I had no intention of ever uh, getting another partner other than just working with other musicians. But uh, about three years into my travels, I met Steffi in Australia. And I think this is where you can tell your story. Yeah, my musical background starts very different than the one from most musicians because I don't have any. I just grew up here in Germany. I never ever had the dream of being a musician. I never considered myself musically talented and I never really played an instrument before either. So all of this kind of took like a 180 turn for me when I met Mark. Um, I was really into like environmental science and that was my plan. I just finished high school. I was 19. I uh, booked a ticket to Australia uh, alone. And just wanted to travel for one year alone, get some experience on just what it is like being in a new country, new language for me at the time, and just find myself around. And the plan was to come back after just a year and to study environmental science. And after the first two months, I met Mark. And I got to say, before I fell in love with the music, I fell in love with him as a person. And I, I just had, I had the biggest <laughs> crush on him. And I just wanted to travel with him. I wanted to learn everything from him. I admired him for what he did. He was already traveling for like five years and I, oh, that was unbelievable for me. And 
So um, luckily he felt the same way about me. So we were together for a while. And at the time to finance my travel in Australia, I worked on farms, blueberry picking to be precise. Worst job, by the way, uh, worst job in the world, by <laughs> I the way. I one day. Not easy uh, money. No, I know. Yeah, I picked raspberries every summer for about five years as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Those it was, are the ones uh, with the stickers. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, felt you know. bad for you guys. <laughs> oh, I'm tough. No, I'm. <laughs> so, um, and Mark, uh, with the street performing, he could just move from place to place so fast, but I had to kind of always uh, built myself a little bit of a stable life, find a job, find accommodation, save up, and then do a little bit of traveling. And he said, well, I don't like it that way. You should come with me. <laughs> so he offered, what if you just um, sell my CDs for me and I give you a little cut of that. And so he explained the Chapman stick to me. So when people came up and asked questions in the middle of a song, he wouldn't have to interrupt his music and I could just do the talking and all that. That's great. We brought out a little lawn chair and uh, <laughs> she just hung out and had a good old time and just yeah. watched me play. <laughs> but I kind of felt guilty no, because cool. I, was, I was being paid for not doing anything pretty much because I always felt the music sells itself. <laughs> it really doesn't need me trying to talk people into supporting him. Right. Definitely. So I told him that I just didn't want to do it that way. And if there was any other way. So he just looked at me and said, "Um, do you want to give the Chapman stick a try? I was like, oh, God, no, I never touched an instrument before. (laughs) 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 But (laughs) no, I I did give it a try. And apparently I did quite okay. She did better than I did my first time. (laughs) That's for sure. No, well, no, this is actually, this is a fascinating story. It's also, um, I mean, I see how accomplished you've become in what four or five years Steffi yeah I gotta say that really I didn't feel like a musician till just about two years ago and there was this moment that for me was a very big moment we were um, with his parents in the states and we had just finished our first album together and so we sent out an order of printing like 3,000 copies but we left to New Zealand right after so we weren't there when the copies of our new album actually arrived And his parents sent a box to us in New Zealand. And when the box arrived and I opened it and I got the CD out and had it in my hands and read the name Mark and Steffi and saw the picture of us. Like that's the moment. That was the moment when I felt like, (laughs) oh my God, I really am a musician. I can't Mm. believe it. It was, it, it took a while, but for me, that was a very big moment. And I still remember the way I felt when I held the CD in our hands for the first time. Well, you know. When I watch you play on the videos you guys put out, you definitely look like a musician and you're confident uh, and, you know, you make me jealous because I've got to, you know, the stick was really the first instrument for me also. And here I am 10 years in and and I can't do the things that you do. And uh, you're an inspiration. Thank you so much. She put in the time. (laughs) A lot of time. (laughs) How long have you been playing, Steffi? No. About four and a half years. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. There were times when she would just lock herself in the room, though, and she would really get in serious practice. And uh, that's always been a, a thing of mine is trying to find out the most efficient ways to practice, which there are a lot of tricks. And uh, I try my best to impart wisdom. But in the end, I'm probably making mistakes and just trading them along to her. But <laughs> <laughs> that's what Matt thought when he first started to teach me. So uh, I guess that's how we learn. Oh, wow. So... If you had to say, you know, this is my number one 
practice habit that I fall back on, whether it's to learn a new skill on the instrument or to maybe learn a new song or to conquer a difficult passage that you really want to get, but you can't play it yet. You, do, you have a, do you have a number one tip that, uh, that, that maybe you can share? Uh, number one tip, uh, I believe uh, I would have to start uh, start at the beginning. The mindset, I believe, in a lot of people is the biggest problem. A lot of people think if it doesn't sound good immediately, uh, then I, I won't try or uh, I'm just no good. And as a musician, you hear that time and time again. But other musicians that have gotten past the first three months know that it's like learning a language and it just takes time. But uh, I would any musician uh, that would uh, I mean, any person that would ask that, I would say uh, it would start with the mindset. But as far as another musician, I say do uh, practice it slow and take pauses uh, give your mind uh, a rest, uh, especially when it comes to something very fast, uh, something uh, that is very independent as far as both hands. Uh, as we know with Chapman stick, it requires a lot of independence sometimes. And I, I think uh, really slowing things down helps the most. And of course, uh, taking uh, breaks in between, let the connections in your brain reform and really oh, give yeah. it, uh, time. But I think that's common knowledge amongst other musicians. Uh, and like I said, I'm not a teacher. So this is my first student. Uh, I hope it's going to turn out okay in the end. But <laughs> we will see. Taking a pause between is something that I found helpful. I mean, I'm when I'm trying to learn a song, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You can work on something and a difficult passage, maybe just two or three measures long, and you can play it over and over and over and over again until you've got it. But then you try and play it in the context of the rest of the song and you go from something really simple to that difficult spot and you just mm. totally flub it up because it's not only being able to do it, it's that transition into whatever you're trying to play. That's yeah, that's so those pauses there are really helpful. Yeah, because uh, they let your brain kind of practice approaching it fresh, which is exactly how it's going to be when you're playing it in the heat of. Of, of a performance yeah, or something like that. Yeah. No, that's cool. Well, it's, it's always those first step is the muscle memory. And then once the muscle memory uh, starts to finally take effect and it becomes easier, then you have the next step of putting it into context, which comes way later, of course. Uh, I mean, usually depends obviously where you are as a musician, uh, but patience, persistence is the key for that. And uh everybody's of course a little bit different on how they take in information so mm -hmm. it's not always a one size fits all but um that's usually what works for me is uh taking a lot of pauses and uh there's of course a another musician that i was listening to on youtube that said uh when people say you practice eight hours a day oh my goodness uh you must be amazing and uh, he says yes i practice eight hours a day but that means many different types of things that I do as far as uh, practicing scales to uh, arranging a song to many different uh, different things that uh, work in different parts of the brain. So you're not constantly hammering something and making yourself go insane. But I think that was one thing that took me a long time to realize is that practice in general is not, is not just working on one thing that you're lacking. It's uh, trying to hit everything. It's simultaneous, but takes a while to have it sink in. Yeah. Well, 
I'd like to move on to something that's, you know, not not entirely off topic here from from practice and learning things. You know, you mentioned, you know, some of that eight hours is composing and something that fascinates me is and, and it probably fascinates me just because I'm essentially I'm a Chapman stick hobbyist. OK, I'm a musical hobbyist. This is kind of where I've landed. Yeah, I, I play, but I'm not really it's a hobby and mm-hmm. composing music on two of the same instrument, especially a polyphonic instrument like the Chapman stick or the piano or the guitar, that always kind of fascinates me because, you know, if I want to figure out how to play something with a drummer and a piano player, okay, I can deal with that. How do you compose music for two sticks without them getting in each other's way? Uh, to be honest, uh, I, I've worked with with other musicians, everything from violin, uh, violinists to cellists uh, to pianists. And in my experience, the more complicated the instrument is, such as a piano, uh, which has, of course, a very large range and can take up a lot of room, the more you have to really piece together piece by piece, almost like building, building blocks in order to place everything just right. And it's harder to, again, jam with uh, an instrument such as a piano uh, than it is for, say, a guitar or, or a violin or a cello, which are easier because they're, of course, have a little, they take up a little less room as an instrument. But so, yeah, with another Chapman stick, it's, again, two Chapman sticks take up a lot of room. And uh, there are certain techniques that just over the years have kind of, uh, I've kind of, adapted to and basically I was never the one that arranged I was always the one that uh, learned what I was supposed to do in the past and did it Uh, it wasn't until I met Steffi that all the 10 years of being with Matt started to come back and it's like okay so I have two of these instruments again how do I how did we do this and slowly all those connections that were there while I was listening to them came back and so a lot of it started to just form together. And I, I guess when it comes down to it, it's, it's hard to say, you know, like, well, I'm going to start off the song this way and do this. I don't really know. Uh, for the most part, I just get in, uh, get into it. And with the bass side, I always try to at least keep octaves apart. I try to change the rhythms up between the, uh, the two hands as much as I can. With the melody side, I always try to tastefully put in harmonies as much as I can. And as you hear, the, the Chapman stick sounds gorgeous together. And uh, also, I found that the ch- two Chapman sticks really go well together when one of them is doing an arpeggiated part with both hands. And then the other Chapman stick can be focused more with a higher chord uh, with the left hand, higher chord positioning, and with the right hand, the melody. And that is, uh, for two Chapman sticks, one of those golden moments, I would call, because it's worked so many different times, and it's almost a guaranteed formula for a good song with two Chapman sticks. I don't know if that answers your, uh, your question. There's, a, there's more than one ways to skin a cat, as they say. <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask if you write the music out, or if you kind of organically figure out you try this and I'll do this and it, eventually it works because you can do that. Yes. And then some people can write it out. Like I've written out, um, and if you guys, I don't know if you guys can read music. 
Uh, no, <laughs> actually, okay. I can read it, but uh, I'm not proficient at it. Uh, I can go very slowly uh, with it, uh, but no, I'm not familiar too much. Yeah, I've taken that. some um, music and written it for two sticks. Mm. So, um, mm-hmm. but that's kind of why I was curious how you did it. So, uh, everything is by ear, uh, the same way that my teacher was as well. He just kind of did most of everything on the fly. I would sit there and be the looper when uh, in the early days. I would, uh, anytime that uh, there was a, a part that he wanted a harmony for, I would learn that real quick. And uh, we'd say, oh, you know, this is nice. Let's change these notes. Let's move this around, maybe an octave. And I would be the... I was a looper. Uh, luckily, I've actually I've spared her from that. I bought a looper so that uh, <laughs> so that uh, I can sit down and really uh, do that and work out all of the uh, the details, the fringent details. And then when I can finish the when I finish the song, I can come and give her the part uh, that's more refined, and so she doesn't have to learn a whole bunch of stuff. Because I remember it drove me crazy in the early days when Matt would do that, but. I, I'm kind of glad that he did because I was able to learn so much being there, a part of the process. And uh, I don't know if I would be able to actually write for me and Steffi right now without that experience. So I, I guess I realize now how important it was. So like you don't even have chord charts that you that you use to it's just all up here as I, I tap my temple. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. That's even more impressive because you've got ah. a pretty big catalog and you got to keep playing. You have to play a wide variety of songs. You know, if you're playing, you know, uh, on a on a corner for four hours or however long, maybe that's a lot to remember. That's that's impressive. I think music uh, is so diverse, and um, that was actually the condition of us being together. Is that uh, I have to learn German, and she has to learn the Chapman stick. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> it really uh, was an eye opener because I realized how much. Uh, learning a language is similar to learning an instrument. At first, nothing works out. Everything sounds terrible. And uh, after months and months and months of trying, you start to finally get your first sentence out that sounds articulate. And it reminded me so much of the first (laughs) time that I could play a song all the way through or just even a piece of a song and just really start to work with not the paying attention part of the brain, but the letting go of paying attention and the musical side of it. And it's almost like with language as well. It's uh, really letting go and let your emotions come through your words. Is, uh, and of course, there's many ways to learn language as there is many ways to learn an instrument. And I'm amazed with the people that can play piano, read the music, and sing and work the oh, pedals yeah. down there below. Those people yeah. freak me out. So, <laughs> there's, so okay, there's I'm going to put you on the spot here, uh, Mark. Um, you know, you're supposed to be learning German. Can you say something in German? Oh, ich spreche sehr gut Deutsch. I've arbeitet so hard auf meinen Deutsch. Es ist perfekt jetzt, aber nicht so. Noch nicht ganz perfekt. Noch zwei Jahre. Okay, so now did you just insult me or did you say something else? <laughs> no, I say, I speak good German. I speak great German. My German is amazing, but not really.
So we've heard a bit about uh, Mark learning his new language. Steffi, any experiences with the stick you care to share with us? Um, yeah, absolutely. It was actually after about two months uh, when Mark started to teach me the Chapman stick. He had to leave me alone in Australia and go back to the United States for, I think it was about three months or so. And so um, he left his Chapman stick with me in Australia, said, I hope you practice while, I gone, uh, while I'm gone. <laughs> Um, in the same time, there, there went my source of finance in the moment, so wow. I found a place, I picked up another farm job, which was even worse than the first one. Um, but every day after work I did practice for I think two hours, the five, I would say, parts of songs that I knew, they weren't even full songs yet. But I was like, oh, I'm going to impress him so much. When he comes back, he's going to be so proud of me, because I, I was in love like never before, I would have done anything. And yeah, so I practiced a lot and a lot. And Mark, uh, we were on the phone a lot during this time and he asked, so how is it going? And I said, I complained about the job that I had at the time. So I said, why don't you just go out busking in the town? I said, I, I can busk, I can't even play songs yet. I I'm not gonna do that. And Mark always said how important it is to be confident and to believe in yourself and to always push yourself a little over the edge, like out of the, comf or out of the comfort zone a Give little the bit. the Tony Robbins spiel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm naturally a more quiet, a little bit more shy person, but I took up all of my courage. I got the Chapman stick and I was just playing in a park on the bench with the volume all the way down to make sure nobody could hear me. <laughs> and just to see, uh, of course, people look, the instrument looks great and unique and exotic. So people already gave me looks and I was like, oh my God, I've never been in the center so much in my life. And I was so stage fried. But as um, sweet old older man came up to me and just gave $5 in my hand and said, you should play in the town center. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not playing. I'm just practicing. And he said, well, it sounds great. Just practice in the town center. Keep your case out and see what happens. And even Mark told me, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't you just do it? I mean, nobody's going to nobody's gonna judge you. It is a complicated instrument. And I was playing for, I think, two months at the time. So I got up all the courage. I was sweaty and shaky. And I think the awful songs that I played sounded even more awful, <laughs> to me at least. <laughs> But after about one hour, I looked in my case and there was actually more money in there that I would have earned in two days working in this terrible job that I had. So I quit right away and I just said, <laughs> I practice in the town center from now on every day. And so I did that. And after a while, I tried to push myself a little further and I knew there was a festival going on. So I came in and I asked um, if I could play there. And I sat up next to a vendor and the older lady saw me put out the amplifier. She came up to me and said, I hope this is not going to be loud music. I don't want this right next to my ear for the next four hours. And I was so shy. I was like, no, no, I promise. I just play one song. If you don't like it, I'll leave right away. And so I played one song and she came up and apologized that this is beautiful. Please stay the whole day. And so these are like some of my earliest experience of playing music to complete strangers and the reception was great and I loved it. And when Mark came back, he brought another Chapman stick and that's when I actually first heard two Chapman sticks together. And we um, practiced the first song that uh, together. I played my part that I learned and he played his part. And after that, we kind of knew that, yeah, this was going to work. And it was a great experience. It was a very interesting ride that I had there. Oh, wow. I tell you, <laughs> Steffi, 
Steffi, you just made this podcast. <laughs> I have never heard a story like that about oh. the stick. And that is so inspirational because for many of us, myself included, playing in front of people is just, it's terrifying. And most of us just say, I'm not going to do it. And, you know, the only time I play in front of people solo has been at stick seminars where it's very, very safe and it's a great place to do it. But generally speaking, when I'm playing in front of people, it's with a band and so I can hide. And, and you've just been so, that is a, that's an inspiration. I'm sorry, Claire, I interrupted you. So yeah, no, I was gonna say you, you literally played your first gig with an instrument you'd played two months on yes, a chat. That's, that's, man. <laughs> Incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, two months with a stick. I don't know. I was maybe playing a scale. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that it sounded any good, but I'm not saying that it sounded. But you any did good, it. Like you did it, and like people enjoyed it. Like people enjoyed it enough to tell you to go do it more. So like that's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You even had a manager. That old man. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> he was like he was like your agent. <laughs> I got a gig for yeah. you, young lady. Um. Uh, I, I kind of also wanted to prove it to myself that I could really do this and also to my family. I mean, you have to imagine when the 19-year-old daughter calls from the other side of the world and says, hi, mom, hi, dad. By the way, I'm not coming home to study. I'm going to be a musician. <laughs> I, 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 I would add, I mean, so, so maybe the, the added, uh, oh, I fell in love with a guy and I started playing an instrument. You know, yeah, I did kinda, say that I met this American that played oh, the American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I met an American and now I'm staying do. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, I'm sure that went over well with the family. Yeah. Um, they were definitely a little worried, <laughs> but they definitely respected me. And they said, well, this is why you went there to kind of figure out what you want to do and to a little bit connect with yourself. And of course, they would like if I would get some kind of college degree, but <laughs> now I kind of convinced them that this is really working. And I mean, Mark has now lived with me for a while and I got my parents full support. I think my mom actually said it would have not been weird if I would have not cared at all what you do over there. So I said, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, yeah, that's actually, I'm kind of happy that she was skeptical. I think that is a parent's response or good mm, response at the first definitely. moment. For right. me, this was the second time I went through this. First time with my parents, second time with hers. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of an interesting, you've kind of repeated it, but from the other place. Like, it, yep. yeah, other that's a really interesting. <laughs> hey, yeah, where kind of are you now, by the way? Forward story. Yeah. Again, we are in uh, Ulm, Germany. Um, it's about one hour away from Munich. And it is known for having the highest church in the world. And Albert Einstein was born here. Yeah, but nobody knows it. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful city, though. Okay, so, so Steffi, a question that came to my mind when you were just telling your story there, in the back of my mind, I was wondering, well, you've been playing the instrument for two months and you went to a park and you sat on a bench and started playing. How did you get your sound out there while you were busking, even especially without the benefit of Mark's knowledge and expertise on that? Well, I learned a lot from Mark. Actually, when I first met Mark, he was carrying this big like motorcycle battery with an inverter <laughs> to power his amplifier. The early days. <laughs> oh, wow. And it, it was very heavy and 
right before he left because he did have to take his amplifier with him to the States. I bought my very first and own piece of equipment. It was a little Roland amplifier, like very small, very lightweight with batteries though. So mm -hmm. I just charged that up every day after work when I came home from work or when I finished practicing. And it would give me about two hours and it was very small, very complex. Roland unit. Uh... It, the quality was pretty good at the time. It just didn't have the volume. So I was... I'm kind of happy that I had to play very quiet because I was too shy for any more people to hear my music anyway. Right. And right. that was, it just needed a switch, just needed to be plugged in. And that was it. It was the simplest setup. I remember at the time too, it costs her about half of the money that she had. And so it was like a Jack and the Beanstalk situation where mm. it's like, if oh. you want to practice, you're going to have to buy this. And she did. She took the leap. And uh, as you know, like when uh, you buy your first equipment, that's a big commitment. And uh, that was a <laughs> right. commitment there. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So what do you use now when there's two of you? Uh, well, um, that's what I wanted to, to lean on is uh, uh, there, there's been a long road to come to where, uh, where we are today, where I am today with the gear that we use. And uh, I stand by the AER Compact 60, 100%. It has uh, the built-in reverb that, uh, for me, uh, the only effect that I use that I'm religious by is reverb with the Chapman stick. I feel that it gives it the body and the depth that uh, made me fell in love with it to, in the very beginning. And uh, it has that built into it. Uh, it's a rather expensive one, but it only weighs about 15 pounds, uh, they do make a battery version, but we use the one uh, that's not battery powered. And nowadays, I don't haul around a motorcycle battery with an inverter anymore. <laughs> uh, I got a little more tech savvy, and uh, my brother actually called me up. He's like, hey, there's these power supplies called RVA that uh, basically laptop batteries, and they'll give you about three hours of playtime. Why aren't you using these? And I'm like, you're a genius. <laughs> we bought about three of them. They give about nine hours of playtime between all three. They charge within uh, three hours. And it's the largest battery you're allowed to take on a plane. So for travel, it's exactly what we always need. Yeah, there was interesting experiences <laughs> with customs when he had to pack out his motorcycle battery. <laughs> oh, especially in China. <laughs> they don't like uh, weird things in your luggage. <laughs> wow. So do you... Do you have one amp or do you have to each have your own? Uh, we both plug in to the AER. The okay. And uh, uh, she actually has bought her own AER amp now, the Slope. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we find while busking, uh, you're not actually invited to play. And so it's very necessary, especially in Germany, to try to keep it down. Uh, and so we always do. Uh, we only go to 3 o'clock on the volume with the AER and it's enough to be heard and felt. And we always say quality above quantity and most of the time uh, they'll leave you alone, mostly. So, so you both go to the same amp and use the built-in reverb is what you Yep. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, it's uh, simple. It's again, 15 pounds. So it all fits on the back. Mm. Also, when we have to haul it on our backs and like European cities are a little set up different. We have like the entire town center is pretty much shut off for car traffic. It's all walking streets. So sometimes it is a 15, 20 minute walk and we try to fit everything into backpacks. I usually carry the CDs and the signs and things like that. And he carries the amplifier. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know how many places that you've uh, traveled to because you I've mm -hmm. seen videos of you in Vietnam and mm -hmm. Waikiki uh, in, in uh, Germany and 
It's going yeah. on about 40 countries now so far. Wow. 40? 40 countries uh, up to this date. Oh, my word. Um, and uh, uh, with our vehicle now, we can start to explore more in Europe. And uh, But yeah, that's, uh, that is our t- uh, two favorite things is music and travel. And combining those uh, together, busking is just, there's no other way. Because you get to meet the locals as well while you're performing, while you're making money, you get a, a different experience than most other travelers would, which for, for us is just priceless. It's, uh, it's a wonderful experience and uh, we don't always make money. Uh, sometimes when we're in Myanmar or Cambodia, it's a little bit hard to, uh, to find a place, but we can also, things work in places you really wouldn't think they would work like Vietnam, uh, where we did fantastic. So it's uh, always, uh, an adventure going into a new country and, uh, seeing how people react and seeing what they're going to think about the Chapman stick. So you guys don't record your uh, life experiences on video, like some other people on YouTube channels do. We have just started in the past four months to post regularly <laughs> with videos and stories and updates about our travels. Uh, but before, uh, before three months ago, uh, social media was something that we didn't understand too much. And we just always were in the moment a little too much. But now we're starting to understand how important it is for independent musicians to get a following and to potentially... Uh, become completely self-reliant without a record deal like they like they always teach you, you know, and without the other promotion. Um, uh, eventually, we hope to get to that place as well where busking is not the main source of income, but a mixture between busking and uh, online, uh, which will be uh, hopefully a long-term, life-term, lifetime goal. And we have our whole life to do it. <laughs> I'm curious, do you find, like, I... I when we chatted with Bob and I think even Andy, they, they they mentioned the evolving landscape, let's say, of, you know, physical media versus downloads and how people interact with you and, and purchase your music or interact with your music. I'm curious, is that even, and, and, and you know, you mentioned that that's more something you've gotten into re- recently. Is that something you really have to think about when you're traveling to other countries, just kind of adjusting to sort of the local, like what is, what is your experience with that of just how, how different is it? Um, yeah, well, we actually just got more into the download because what we realized a lot, especially in the recent years while busking and selling CDs, a lot of people say, I don't even have a CD player anymore. And I'm got to say, honestly, me neither. We still sell them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but they always say they will check out our website later and then download the digital format. But a lot of the times as they walk away, I think they just forget, uh, forget. Yeah. I think that impulse of buying just, um, it is there in the moment. So that was also one of our winter projects is try to find a way on how we can sell a digital format of our music there and in, in the moment. So we printed these digital download cards that look like a CD, but when you open them, they have a code in the um, inside, like a little rub-off code. And with that code, the people can go to our website and download the music for free so that we still have something to sell to them in the moment. And they've actually worked out very well. Those last few weeks, we got the first chance to try them out and they made about 30 to 40% of our sales. So Mm -hmm. that was really, really good. And uh, how people react in different countries to the music. First of all, we mostly play Irish music, 
But again, everything that we do is instrumental. And I think that when you play instrumental music, uh, you kind of break down that barrier as well. Uh, and it, all of a sudden, you know, words are not as big of a deal anymore. And so we found that uh, the Chapman stick is just perfect for that because it's a very natural sound as well. And so it translates very nicely to most countries. I will uh, say that there is a few... Uh, a few ones that did not work out well. Uh, <laughs> don't have to name those. But <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> do, you, do you think that's the stick itself or, or busking in general? No, I think it's uh, a combination of busking in general as well as the culture. I found yeah. some cultures look at busking differently. Yeah. Uh, as, we, as probably a lot of us have seen, uh, there was that uh, prolific uh, violinist in the subway in New York. Uh, that I believe he was supposed to play to a sold-out crowd the next day, Madison Square Garden or something, and uh, he got about $20 over the course of an hour or something. I believe that's how it People went. just walking by. So, so more, yes. more the response in terms of how people exactly. appreciate that you're standing there playing music. Kind of, yeah, Exactly. And so it's, it doesn't really matter so much what you're playing as uh, uh, what the culture perceives uh, as busking. Uh, for for us, it really depends on the place, not um, also on the country. But like big cities usually don't work that well for us because people, they wear their suits, they have their headphones in and they're in a rush to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's just everything is a little more busy and fast paced. And we do the best where people want to relax, like where they go on vacation, yeah. uh, like Hawaii or <laughs> but the, the very best is actually where they sit down and where they listen to a few songs and not just a few seconds as they walk by. Mm -hmm. And in the south of Germany is a lot of these like areas with cafes and they put the chairs out and there's like outdoor seating and the beer gardens. And mm -hmm. when we set up in front of one of these, it's almost like giving a concert and the audience listens for sometimes a full hour. And it sometimes takes them a few songs till they really want to buy an album from us. Huh, that and that's that usually something we don't get in a very busy walking street in like New York City or other really big cities. Which, by the way, I've been busking in, again, almost 40 countries, and the only place I ever got a ticket was in New York City. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> for having an amplifier. I think there's a warrant out for my arrest because I did not have time to see the judge. And oh, no. It worries me every time I fly in. Every time I fly in, I start sweating. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, you know, what you've just said. It kind of puts a little bit of uh, into context. Um, I know a gentleman who... Um, He's a clarinet player, which is not the kind of instrument that you would associate with busking. Um, but he's a professional, you know, he's part of the union. He's played on Disney soundtracks and stuff. And what, so he's, he's good, but it's a clarinet. And mm -hmm. he told this story one time at, at, at a rehearsal. He was he was leading this community band that I was playing the stick in as the bass instrument. But he went to downtown Portland and there's this place in downtown Portland called Pioneer Courthouse Square that is, you know, it's kind of a hangout uh, and it's where you go when you want to hang out in the summer. They've got a fountain. Well, anyway, he goes there with his clarinet and he sets up and he played for, I think he said, I'm not sure it was one hour or two hours. And all he did was go through one of his practice books. So he spent an hour or two playing scales and, and, and whatnot and playing whatever you play when you're practicing clarinet and you're not playing an actual song. And I think in two hours, he made $600. And I was, you know, my, my jaw hit the floor. 
I see it in a different light, having heard what you've just said, because this is not a subway where everyone's in a rush to get to the to to make the train. You know, this is a place where people are just kind of hanging out and they get to hear something and they can come to appreciate it. So, yeah, this is this is I'm learning here. (laughs) Well, you know, there's uh, there's more than one ways to get to the people. And it's unfortunate how much artists get taken advantage of in the industry. Let's face it. uh, Spotify is uh, uh, I don't want to get any uh, into anything too political or anything, but uh, Spotify, of course, doesn't pay that much. Uh, For those who don't know, it pays a fraction of the cent per stream to the musician. And uh, so it's, again, another one of those barriers that uh, a lot of people like to say, you know, well, it's good to promote yourself. But uh, at the same time, artists uh, do have to eat as well. And same thing with uh, sometimes performing in bars. If you want to take a regular show, there's usually always somebody in the middle. And uh, that's why we love uh, busking and uh, performing. Uh, And we did it, of course, Back in the States, uh, almost the same way. Of course, we would just pay to play at a venue. But we were selling our music directly to the people. And I feel that uh, there's not enough sources for artists to do that nowadays. Uh, even Bandcamp is a well-known uh, platform that doesn't take as much from the artists uh, in order to sell their music. But they still take 15%. And so I find that uh, it can be difficult sometimes, especially as an artist knowing where to put your music, where to put your songs, and, uh, and also how to perform to, uh, to get the most out of it. And so I really feel for a lot of the artists that, uh, that struggle with that, because nowadays it almost you have to have a day job. But I've, luckily, we've, through doing this, we've been able to, I've been doing it now 15 years without a day job, and Steffi now for five. But uh, going directly to the people is always how we've had the most success. So something that I saw on on one of your social media posts, or maybe a series of them, is you've got a van that supports your current lifestyle that you've been describing to us. So I want to know how that came to be and and the thought process and all that stuff. Well, actually, we started talking about this literally the very first night we met. And there was just this connection. We sat together with the beer and we ended up talking till like two in the morning. And I said that my dream was yeah, to one day to travel. I actually thought North America with a van. Like just buy some transporter and custom build it yourself and just travel everywhere. And he said, oh, the idea is fantastic, but I'd like to do that in Europe. It's like, well, Europe is my home. I'd rather do it in the States, but we just kind of kept talking about that. <laughs> A compromise. And two years ago, we were performing in New Zealand and on the street next to us, there was this little green transporter that just drove by. It didn't have windows, which we really like because privacy uh, for obvious reasons. And 
Uh, Mark just pointed at it and said, that is perfect. And it turned out that it was a VW Caddy Maxi. And ever since we saw that, I thought that would be so cool for Europe. Mm. We kept our eye open and we saw they are everywhere. Every business uses these small transporters. Including the postal service here. Yeah, including the postal <laughs> service. And we knew that we wanted a van that is very small, that can fit in every underground parking garage because there's lots of them in Europe. Uh, that can fit through small roads because Europe cities can be very, very tight and have very small roads. It's not like and America. And also something that doesn't look like a camper van because some countries can be a little bit strict with freedom camping. But if you have something that doesn't look like a camper van, you usually don't get in too much trouble. So last summer we actually found this old post car that was still great on the engine. I think it had like only 80,000 kilometers on it. And the only mm. reason why they retired us, uh, retired it is because it had a few dents on the outside, but that didn't bother us. Mm. And <laughs> so we just went, uh, went ahead and bought it. And Again, that was our uh, Corona project. Uh, <laughs> everything that we did was, of course, with help from YouTube. Uh, we never done anything like this before. And luckily, there was all the information in the world uh, to help us through it. I think the most scary part was when I had to put a hole in the roof to put the window uh, to the ventilation window in. Nearly had a heart attack, but got the right blade on it and uh, just cut right in there. I think there's just this instinct in your guts that you don't want to cut a hole in your car, or but put a hole in it. you have to do it anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's great. Uh, we, we went ahead and it, it's, of course, very small inside. Uh, so we made the most out of every square inch that we could with uh, building um, a, a large desk to one side of it, as well as a bed that folds out and in from a couch into a bed, measuring specifically our <laughs> elbows from end to end to make sure there was just enough room. And uh, the bottom storage area is built just for Chapman stick equipment with the size perfectly oh. matching the amplifiers and Chapman sticks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> But yeah, this is our girl. Uh, her name is Maya, and she <laughs> is going to hopefully get us all through Europe and every corner of this continent. Yeah. We are we are going to see and everything. What I love the most about it, we put a solar panel on the roof because before we would just hang out for four hours in McDonald's and drink a <laughs> coffee to charge up our batteries, but now we don't have to anymore. Mm-hmm. We're just so uh, off grid. Does it keep up? <laughs> I mean, do, do, yeah. does that can that solar panel keep up with your needs? I mean, you've got only you, when you it's described. sunny. Well, okay, yeah, um. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and not in a parking garage. <laughs> oh wow, darn! Wow, details. <laughs> then we got to go back to McDonald's. Yeah, we're back to where we used to be. <laughs> McDonald's coffee is acceptable, and uh, ah, yeah. yeah, they got good coffee. Uh, you must have a little kitchenette or something in your uh, camp in your. Yeah. We do. Uh, we have all the camping gear, of course, pots, pans, cooking equipment, gas stove. Um, it's completely equipped uh, with everything that we need to cook our own meals uh, and, and still eat healthy, try to eat healthy on the road. Like we even have a tiny little sink with a water tank. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, just a, a wastewater tank for brushing teeth in the morning. Uh, we actually right. didn't put a running water, but, uh, but they, that's what they say. It's better to start small and move up slightly than to start huge and go smaller. Cause, uh, the amenities in the end, you, uh, you see that they, they cost you a lot of time as well as money, uh, draining wastewater and, Oh God, dealing with all the, 
the mess that comes with that. So we're keeping it very simple. And for us, this is a upgrade from the last three cars that I had that got me around. For instance, in Australia, it was a Honda CRV, which if you've ever seen those, uh, you've got to push the seats all the way to the front and then a blow up mattress will barely fit in like a bean bag. I think we popped 10 of those while we're in Australia. <laughs> and uh, luckily they all had a one year warranty. So I think we paid for one and popped 10. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in New Zealand as well. Uh, oh yeah, oh, Kmart. <laughs> but uh, so, but so yeah, like, how does this work rate. then? I mean, like you, 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 you park on the side of the road. You find like what in America would be called a rest area, and you hang out there, or do you, or do you literally find parking garages, or where do you stay? It depends on the country, uh, and it depends obviously in a city. It's very different, but we have the option of staying uh, inside the city center. There's an app course there's an app for everything where you can find uh free parking within any city and uh usually it depends on the country but in europe there's not really very stringent laws against sleeping in your car or your vulnerable uh, your uh mobile home uh and so you can uh depending on the country you can park almost uh anywhere in these designated places that has free 24-hour parking and because ours is a transporter you can't really see in uh, the back two windows are tented uh, we can park wherever we'd like, but we our favorite is in a uh, in the nature somewhere, somewhere in the trees. Uh, obviously, like with anybody else, uh, uh, we prefer that because then you can take the uh, take the table out, get a cup of coffee, have some breakfast, and mm-hmm. really get in that camping lifestyle. So, in your cold weather, do you end up going south? Yes, because I'm assuming you can't sleep in your van if it's cold. We I have. mean, to a certain point. Uh, when it gets close to freezing, oh, I think uh, this was a rough uh, start because it was very cold in Germany in the beginning. And uh, we went to Spain very, very quickly, uh, Spain and Portugal. (laughs) And um, uh, we had just uh, come from there a few weeks ago. And um, uh, but yeah, we spent uh, most of the spring down there. Uh, and of course, we, uh, we've just been back. We got our vaccination today. And so uh, we're excited to, <laughs> we're excited to get back uh, to being regular musicians. <laughs> On the road, we we're always like, oh, this bar looks like so much fun or this restaurant looks so nice. But let's just be careful. We're so close. <laughs> I don't want to do anything extra. Well, usually during the winter, because even in the very south of Europe, the winter still can be too cold for us, uh, for us to perform and there is not many tourists out. So we usually want to hop the equator and go to like New Zealand, Australia, Hawaii. Yeah. And we've done that for the last five years. But the last winter was actually the first winter where we couldn't do that. Because so, of Corona. But yeah. we really made the most of it. I, I learned new songs. I think Mark wrote eight new songs and mm-hmm. we redid our website. We came out with these digital cards and we were done. definitely very hardworking during the winter. I think I managed an average of of about four hours of practice every day. And I've definitely gotten a lot better just in those last eight months. Mm-hmm. Can we trade lives, please? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I'd like to do what you do more than what I do, so. Oh, Anybody uh, can do it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, with a little, uh, uh, just forget about the fear aspect. Do it, <laughs> do yeah. it, do it. Wow. Well, you've played all over the world. You've set up your life to play all over the world. What are some of the most interesting or exotic places that you have played? And 
you know, if, if you've got any stories, whether they're inspirational or embarrassing or humorous or, or, or serious or whatever, tell us about where, where you've played and what you've experienced. I, I would like to tell a, a story that I had when I first started busking, when I first got, uh, got out there uh, on my own and uh, was trying this for the first time. I was, I was so timid. Uh, I, just setting up and playing, I was always a little hesitant and I remember actually one of the first places that I started was in Edinburgh after seeing uh, the 19-year-old. Of course, that was the, one of the first places on uh, my list after seeing the 19-year-old that inspired me play there. Uh, after Ireland, I stopped there in Edinburgh, Scotland. And there was uh, the busking community there, I want to just say, is amazing. Uh, there's a guy from, that comes from Texas originally named Todd. Uh, that's a magician that uh, that juggles fire. He does everything out there. He's a he's been a street performer for most of his life, and he showed me around and just uh, basically introduced me to all the buskers in town. Really nice guy. And uh, it was uh, one day that I was out there busking, and there was this guy that came down from his apartment and said, uh, "You know, that sounds really nice. I'll let you play for another thirty minutes, but after that, you're going to have to pack it up." And uh, Oh, I said, okay, well, uh, that's strange. And so naturally I started playing and, uh, I was about 20 minutes in and he came back down red as a cherry. And he, uh, came up to me and he said, Oh, you, you get out of here now. I'm calling the cops, you know, <laughs> uh, they're going to take your equipment. They're going to throw you in jail. And, and so I just turned pale. I turned white and, uh, just froze. And so I, I, I started packing up my equipment and uh, he went back up to his apartment and I started, uh, you know, just kind of wondering what happened as I was walking down uh, the street where everybody busts. And sure enough, I see Todd out there and he comes over. He's like, why are you so down? It's like this guy just came and uh, yelled at me for busking in the street. said, oh, you've met the asshole today. <laughs> yeah, every, all of us know that guy. Don't worry. He has no authority. And, uh, you know, he, he does that uh, from time to time. And so you just got to stand your ground and he'll go away. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, all right. I'm going to show some courage. I, I went back, set up right in the same spot. And uh, I, I was playing, of uh, course, for about 20 minutes or so now. And then he comes down again. And uh, I tell you, he got all red and... Uh, and of course, uh, you know, I've, I've never been one to do conflict. And so I just start saying, you know, no, this is absolutely legal. And, but this time I had a crowd built around from the music that I was playing. And so all of a sudden I had about 20 people defending me, (laughs) ended up, uh, 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 they were basically, they just told him, you know, you know, you're not going to scare this guy off. We're, we like the music. You're going (laughs) to, and so I didn't have to say a word in the end. It was, uh, it was an amazing experience. Uh, and I want to say 99% of the experiences that you have are amazing. They're the best while busking and, uh, but it's that makes it so much easier to remember that one percent, uh, the times where it doesn't quite work out. And so I want to clarify that this is not busking. This is not the way it is. But these are the one stories that you remember. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll just never forget. Uh, it was uh, it was just a really cool moment and a great way to start off the busking career. <laughs> Well, those like 1% of the stories are also the most fun to tell, usually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, 
uh, Steffi, you got to tell the one in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> this is a real good one, too. Yeah, that was, uh, we were performing in Hawaii, and it was going um, pretty well. And there was this guy that just walked right up to me and said, you're in my spot. And I just looked at him. I was in the middle of the song, just tried to ignore. And he came closer to me and said, you're in my spot. And, well, I, we was, together, and I was like, it. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he, he was a local. He lived there. And yeah, he said that, yeah, that we were playing in his spot. And we, um, and now we once again had a crowd and we were all like, I'm really sorry, but we can take turns if you want, but you don't own this part of the street. And we can move along after we finish with our set, which is about an hour. But you cannot just scare us away like that. And he yelled at us. He and called cursed us, us. Cursed and... at us. Called us horrible names. And oh. I was almost scared that he might even get physical to us because he had these crazy eyes and he was yeah. furious. That's and so he actually sat up like right next to us, like just, um, just maybe 20 feet down the road, but right really there. close. Yeah. And I thought, oh, he's one of these like very territorial street performer. They happen. But um, there's definitely a few of them out there. But, uh, but he was a magician and he did magic tricks. And for like about the next hour, he would just be there silently doing his tricks and had a crowd himself every now and then. And then after we were done with our sets, he came up and I was like, oh, God, not again. But he actually said, I got to tell you guys, your music really calmed me down. And it actually calmed my audience. And I actually did better than usual. And I really just wanted to apologize for my behavior. And so I kind of actually left it on a good note, but... Yeah, no, so, it was it was yeah. a, it was a good note. Yeah, it, 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 definitely. It, it ended on a good note, but I was still upset because you, that still doesn't excuse it, that behavior. In some places in the world, bus crews get very territorial, and uh, not every place is going to be in Edinburgh. Uh, <laughs> every place is going to be a little different, but. Uh, but yeah, that was a uh, that was a good experience. But after the night, we set up in that same spot, and he actually always wanted to um, do his magic tricks next to us because he said he was doing better. <laughs> oh wow! Well, so uh, it actually became very harmonic after that. Mm-hmm. Wow! I wonder if that guy is now looking for people to play next to him. <laughs> <laughs> we saw him actually still two there. years He's, later. Uh, yeah, and yeah. once again, we always um, perform next to one another, and that was actually a really good experience. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, that's, that's a good <laughs> I like that you guys can tag team and someone could field questions while someone's playing. So that's that's kind of cool. It helps a lot, definitely. Um, yeah, the, the teammate thing while playing uh, is great. And, uh, and, and we make the best team as well. And uh, we're both pretty uh, outgoing people. And so part of it, of course, we, we actually, uh, a lot of time, why, uh, a lot of people ask us, why don't you have a description about the Chapman stick in front of you? A little bit of writing for people to read. And we say every time we want to meet the people. We want to get the ones that come up and ask us about that. And I don't care how many times we have to say what the instrument's called. It's worth it every time. Because that's the best starting conversation in the world is what do you call that weird thing you got there? So it's worth yeah. it totally. You're playing and this gentleman gets in your face and it, you know, I don't know. I probably would have had to stop playing at that point, you know, just because I don't have. I know that buskers, part of the skill of busking is being able to keep playing while you at least interact somehow, whether it's to talk or whether it's to say, yes, yeah, shut up for a minute, please. Or you know, <laughs> in, a kind, in a kind, loving way, of course. But uh, that's that's impressive, too, you know, that uh, Steffi, that you're oh. able to. Uh, Keep going. Not, not, not so much. I, I did have to interrupt the song. 
it depends. Usually when somebody just comes up and asks what you call the instrument, I usually able to just bring out a Chapman stick. But <laughs> if it's any more detailed questions, I, I cannot talk and continue playing. I, no, usually one of us um, will take over it, and uh, just go solo like it, until it, the it other It depends on the, songs, uh, on the song and, and the part that each of us playing. But usually on almost every song, one of us can drop out and the other person can continue the song and it still sounds good. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's good. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And it takes time. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, no, she's done fantastic. Uh, it's a good uh, team effort. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you to choose one. What is the most interesting place that you have set up to play? You can define the word interesting. Uh, for you know, however you want, but you know, if, of all the places that you've set up and played, what's the one that maybe is the least expected or most interesting somehow? Um, one of the most interesting uh, interesting gigs I think I've ever done in my life was when I was uh, busking in Queenstown, New Zealand, and uh, I don't know if how many of you know what uh, Queenstown looks like, but it's most one of the most gorgeous cities I've ever seen. It's right next to a lake surrounded by mountains, uh, and it is absolutely picturesque. Uh, it's a gorgeous place. And um, I was busking on the waterfront when a guy from America named Mark came up to me and said, uh, I'm getting married tomorrow. Uh, would you like to do the wedding? It's a helicopter wedding, and we're going to the top of that mountain up there. Oh. And uh, I'd never been on one before, so I was like, you betcha. That sounds like a great idea. And uh, I tell you, it was amazing. When we, uh, we went up to the top of the mountain, they had about 30 minutes to do the ceremony. It was me, the priest, uh, the photographer, the, uh, the couple and the pilot. And so I felt very honored to be a part of that. And, uh, at the, at the top, I was up there performing on top of the mountain for them while, while it happened over the course of about 15 minutes. And, uh, I played a little bit of melody and canon and D and oh, that was a, it was a good moment. (laughs) Um, still kept in touch with them a little bit throughout the years. So you get on a helicopter, you're schlepping your gear you fly the top of a mountain, you get out, you flip the on switch on your inverter, you play for a half hour, you get back in a helicopter with a newly married couple, and you fly back down. Pretty cool. Oh, that yeah. is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a cool moment. Uh, I got to say the most surprising place, though, and one of our favorite places that we can't wait to get back to when all this corona is over, uh, the first time performing in Vietnam. That was surprising because I never expected such a wonderful reaction from the locals. Uh, the uh, Everything from the culture I love to uh, the individual people to the way that they react to the Chapman stick uh, and to the amount of money that we made there. Everything just was so perfect. And uh, every time that uh, I've now been to Vietnam about four times and Steffi, I believe, uh, two times now, No, three, times. three times. Yes. Three times. And every time that we get on that, hel- uh, on the, uh, plane to leave, it's something feels wrong and feels like we're leaving home. <laughs> it's okay. that, uh, it's really surprised me on, uh, on how it would go. It's just what I love most about, uh, most about performing in Vietnam 
In most other places, while street performing, people are still going somewhere. They sometimes stop for a minute, sometimes five minutes, but they eventually move on and they go somewhere. But in Vietnam, they would just stop whatever they did. We had the biggest crowds we ever had in any other country performing. Like It must have been sometimes like 50 people in a big circle around us. And they would sometimes just sit down and just watch for the entire like two or three hours. And they would actually tip better than most of the tourists that came through that day. And <laughs> it is just so generous. And they just love the music. And they want to come up. They want to take pictures with us. And even though they... Um, sometimes don't speak a word of English. We still try to communicate with like hand and feet and try to tell them what the Chapman stick is. Sometimes they invite us over to their table for dinner and for drinks. And oh. it's just the most hospitality oh, wow. and mm. wonderful Amazing. experiences. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Every time we start talking about it, we just drift off into another world. All and the food <laughs> is, I think, my favorite in the world. And it is mm -hmm. so cheap. I mean, for like $1, you get this big bowl of pho and it's uh, soup you, uh, yeah soup you really don't need soup. much to survive in vietnam so mm -hmm. if we perform for two hours and we make two hundred dollars that lasts us for a whole month yeah it's, uh, well, uh, a it's incredible of, two three weeks for sure mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and oh it's just it's a it's a place that uh, the heart stays <laughs> for uh -huh. sure wow so i'm gonna take a left turn now here uh I saw you post something a couple of days ago about trees mm -hmm. and there were some pretty impressive numbers, but can you, can you tell us a little bit about, um, about your tree planting efforts and how that came to be and what that is? <gasps> yeah. Well, this is uh, kind of uh, what Steffi brought into the music because when I met her, she went, wanted to be, uh, wanted to go into environmental research and uh, that when she was going to go back to her country, that was what she was going mm -hmm. to study. So that was like, the only thing I was still very passionate about it and I felt I was giving up that part or that wanting to just do something good for the environment when I picked up the instrument and I never found a way how this could be any way combined till it's actually pretty funny I don't know if I should even tell but I was just scrolling through my social media just this last winter and I saw this big advertisement that really caught my eye that said one condom plants one tree and I was like well that's kind of odd but I clicked on that website and it was a German company that had just merged and the history of the company was yeah a bunch of young people sitting around a fire trying to talk about how can something amazing like love plant trees or just do something good like that and so they partnered with a tree planting organization and for each condom they sell, they plant a tree. And I just found that was very funny. And so I said, well, you know, we could do that too. And I, and, I told, and I told Mark about it. Hey, look at that. That is just so cool, isn't it? I mean, and Mark said, why don't we do that? I mean, if they can plant trees by selling their product, we can as well. And might be great advertisement and publicity, uh, good marketing. And so we really looked into that and... Yeah. And it's amazing. It's uh, uh, the uh, company that we ended up partnering with is called Eden Reforestation. And uh, they have now uh, uh, different, they plant trees in, uh, I think, about eight or nine different parts of the world. Uh, and each place that they plant has, uh, uh, is usually 60% deforested or more. And so they really put uh, the financing in the areas. Uh, that need to be looked after for the nature. And um, so uh, the, everything just looked amazing to me. And I thought this would be a wonderful idea to combine our music 
with tree planting. And so we decided that uh, for every one CD that we would sell, we would donate the equivalent of 10 trees uh, to plant for each one, which comes out to about uh, 10% of the sale of uh, uh, about $1 and change for Oh, so each CD for 10 tree results in uh, 10, 10 trees. So I thought it was just one. Yes. Okay. No, no. It's not 10 no, trees. 10 trees. And uh, so far, uh, we are up to 7,330, I believe. Uh, but we just started this. This is only four months in. <laughs> and usually our busy time is summer. So hopefully we can... Uh, we can get these numbers up and uh, it's just a, a kind of one of those things. We, we travel, so we love nature. And so it's a kind of a little way of, to give back as well. Oh, that's great. Oh, that is great. That's one of those, I mean, the part of the United States that I'm in, uh, you know, logging is a big deal. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. population grows, you got to build houses, it takes wood. And, you know, I love all efforts, whether it's a company doing it or whether it's things like this. This is great. Well, I think the best thing about this um, organization is that they plant trees in, I think, the poorest countries in the world, like Nicaragua, Honduras, Madagascar, Haiti, and a lot of these countries. And that's also why the cost per tree is so low. And they employ the locals, the local villagers, to deforest their own area. Like there's a lot no, of to, people uh, reforest that, their own oh, area. To, yes. Excuse me, <laughs> to, to reforest their mm-hmm. own area. Because a lot of the locals live in poor areas where the deforestation has pretty much just destroyed their land for farming and all that. And now these people are being rehired to um, replant their own uh, villages and their local forests and just to Mm -hmm. create a healthy environment. They focus on putting women in the managing position just to go a little bit against, yeah, in those countries women not always have the same rights. And they actually even pay enough to the locals on a local level where they can send their children to school. And we researched a lot and we talked to them on video calls to the people of the organization and decided that this is something we want to support. Yeah, another winter project. (laughs) And now it's kind of just become this this mission and it's so much fun. Like when we go out, we don't focus on how many albums we sold and whether it was a financial successful day. We sometimes like, well, today was a little slow, but hey, we just planted 50 trees. (laughs) (laughs) There's always that added bonus now. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's, It's really a cool deal. That's awesome. But yeah, you can check it out. There's a lot of information as well uh, on our website and uh, can take a look on that and um, have a lot of information about Eden if you want to check out what they do. Well, you know, that's, you know, as, as we bring this to a close, uh, that's a great question that, that you've just kind of started to give the answer to. So if people want to find out more about you, whether it's to see pictures or videos of you guys playing in places you get to or whether it's to uh, to purchase your music or anything else what's the best way to find you like whether it's oh, yeah. yeah um well basically um our website yeah mm-hmm. we uh still kept the name of the website uh the name cascade is relatively new but our website is markwhitelive.com and uh, from there, we have links to all of our social media. Uh, we do everything from Facebook, Instagram, uh, even TikTok now. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's uh, not always easy to do videos. But, um, but yeah, we, uh, we have a lot of platforms. And uh, uh, our website is also where we sell our CDs directly. And we, uh, we do digital download sales as well as CDs from there. 
And a lot of people ask, are you on Spotify? And we say, uh, uh, we're not. Uh, basically, every bit of income that uh, goes into the music goes straight to us. And uh, that gives us the ability to do projects like tree planting. And uh, basically, instead of giving it to those guys that just want their percentage, we're gonna, we like to do our own thing with it and, uh, and uh, get the numbers up. So, uh, so you can see everything on there. We have videos. Uh, we have a bit of videos about our travel, about the Chapman stick, and about us. And we're, everything's on the markwhitelive.com. Awesome. <laughs> Well, we really appreciate your coming on with us. This has been a wonderful <laughs> yeah. discussion. You're both wonderful people. You're very articulate. And oh, thank you for having us, Victor. So with that, to all of you out there that are listening to this episode of the Tap and Time podcast, we'd like to say thanks a lot for listening. Thanks again to Mark and Steffi for joining us. And we hope that sometime in the next day or so, you get a chance to pick up your instrument and play for a while. Goodbye. thanks to Mark and Steffi for providing the music we heard during this episode. The first song we played is called Happy Tears. Then later on, we got to hear Beyond the Horizon. And now, we're closing things out with the song New Beginning. Each of these songs and more can be heard on their album entitled New Beginning. We welcome your comments. You can contact us by email at tapintimepodcast at gmail.com.